podcast and were intrigued and wanted to catch another one or you don't know how to start from the beginning and you want to start on the second one either one's fine you're welcome how you are i hope you brought your plate of bacon as we are going to talk about swine legion and how demons are going to be saved if you want to communicate with us or have any questions on the podcast please 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 email us we'd love to have the discussion Our email address is hiddenmanapodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook at hiddenmanapodcast as well. So, as we get ready to launch in here, my name is Ben Grimm, sitting across from me is Hal Jordan, and just buckle up as we get ready to go on a spiritual magic carpet ride. So, starting off with, we want to go straight into Galatians 4.26 to kind of set up the whole conversation that we're going to go through. And more than likely, this is going to be two podcasts because there's just so many Bible verses that we got to get through that we don't want to get you Bible verse drunk. So firing up with Galatians 4.26. It's actually Galatians 4.21 through 26, Common English Bible. And it says, Tell me those of you who want to be under the law, Don't you listen to the law? It's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. The son by the slave woman was conceived the normal way, but the son by the free woman was conceived through a promise. These things are an allegory. The women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to slave children, and this is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem because the city is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. All right, Hal, you're on. So this uh, passage is one that is commonly used to explain how uh, the Bible can be interpreted allegorically which means that sometimes there is a story in the Bible. In this case, it's about Sarah and Hagar, uh, two women who had uh, children by Abraham, and they were sort of in competition with each other, and their children uh, became competitors as well. And um, you wouldn't know this from just reading that Old Testament story, but Paul is saying that they are symbolic Um, of the two Jerusalems. One is the Jerusalem here on earth, which is uh, slaved uh, and imprisoned by its sin. And then there is the Jerusalem in heaven, which is free. And so uh, Hagar is the earthly Jerusalem and Sarah is the heavenly Jerusalem. Now where he gets this, only he knows. Uh, it's probably a Jewish tradition that he is drawing on, but um, it just goes to show that a story that doesn't seem to be related to something can be a perfect example to be used in studying the Bible. And that's what we're going to do today. <clears throat> we're going to start with the uh, story 
about the um, demoniac called Legion. And we're going to read that passage out of Luke chapter 8, 26 through 39. Um, but I want to point out that this is one of three versions of that story. One is in Matthew chapter 8, 28 through 34. And the other one is in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They're all three slightly different, especially the Matthew passage, because the Matthew passage has two demoniacs, and the other two passages have only one demoniac. Um, so when people say there are no discrepancies in Scripture, well, yeah, there really is. And uh, some people point this out as being a criticism of the Scripture, but it could be explained in that there is only one of the demoniacs that actually was focused on in the story, and the second demoniac was kind of there for um, uh, support, you might say, but he doesn't say anything. And also it's one of those things to where all the Gospels, each of the writers have their own story of what they perceive and the angle they want to tell in the story. So they have a little bit of artistic freedom to where maybe they didn't feel that the second demon or the second person there was the important part. It was Legion, correct? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, they all come from different perspectives because Matthew was an actual disciple of Christ, but he wasn't a disciple at the time that this story happened, so he probably wasn't there. So he is telling the story secondhand, as is Mark and Luke, who were also uh, kind of disciples of the disciples. They were uh, followers of um, uh, Paul and um, Peter, so they were not necessarily um, on the scene. I mean, they could have been, but they probably weren't, and they were just telling the story as it was repeated to them. So we referred to this verse in our last podcast talking about demons begging for mercy from Jesus and Jesus having pity on them. Yes. So this is the verse we refer to. It's kind of a winded verse, so buckle up for a minute as I read for a couple minutes. But it's a very important verse that we need to read to really get into what we're going to dive into and talking about the sea, the fire, and all sorts of fire and brimstone and damnation. So Luke 8:26 through 39, Common English Bible, goes like this. Jesus and his disciples sailed to the whoo how Gerasenes uh, Gerasenes Gerasenes land man my reading comprehension is down today I apologize which is across the lake from Galilee as soon as Jesus got out of the boat a certain man met him the man was from the city and was possessed by demons. For a long time, he had lived among the tombs, naked and homeless. When he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down before him. Then he shouted, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had taken possession of him, so he'd be bound with leg irons and chains, and placed under guard. But he would break his restraints 
and the demon would force him into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had entered him. They pleaded with him not to order them to go back into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons bade Jesus to let them go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, and the demons left the man and entered the pigs. The herd rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. When those who tended the pigs saw what happened, they ran away and told the story in the city and in the countryside. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully dressed and completely sane. They were filled with awe. Those people who then... Those people... Blah! This verse is long. Those people who had actually seen what had happened told them how the demon-possessed man had been delivered. Then everyone gathered from the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave the area because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and returned across the lake. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to come along with Jesus as one of his disciples. Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell the story of what God has done for you. So he went through the city proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. So very long verse. Yeah, unpack it for us. It's a really cool story, I think, and uh, one that is um, uh, an example of what I think is an allegory. Uh, Jesus here is—he knows what he's doing. He's—he's he's allowing these demons to interact with him in order to show people, you know, future readers like us, uh, something that he wants us to know. And I'm going to tell you right up front that the thing that he wants us to know is that. Satan will be baptized in the lake of fire. It's not what you think. It is not his destruction per se. It is his salvation. So it's not a destroying fire. It's a cleansing fire. Exactly. And this is a very old belief. It's something that has been around for a long time. But in our modern uh, churches, most of the time that is disputed, ignored, mocked, ridiculed, and forgotten. And here we are. We're going to lay it all out there and show you as best we can what it really means using other passages of Scripture. But we have to start with this story. And what we have here is that um, there was a man, and he was possessed by up to 6,000 demons which is an interesting fact in and of itself. The ancient church used to debate how many demons can dance on the head of a pin or how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, and evidently the answer is as many as want to because they can take up no space whatsoever. So if they can be in a man, if 6,000 of them can be in one man, then why not a million? Um, so they... Uh, they called themselves legion because there was a legion of them, and a legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. So that's why this story is called the story of legion. And um, so legion, under the power of these demons, this man that we call legion because of this story, came to Jesus. He actually approached Jesus. And then the demons said to him, 
What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. In other words, the demons were begging Jesus not to torture them. And then they went on to say, don't send us back into the abyss. They didn't want to go into the abyss, but Jesus had the power, if he wanted to, to throw them into the abyss. But he gave in to their request. He allowed them to give him a request, and he graciously said, okay, I'll do it for you. So why do you think of that? Why do you think he did that? Well, isn't God love? Absolutely. And the demons are God's creation, God's creatures, God's... They're just another aspect of God's manifestation. So if God loves all creatures... Could it be to where God loves the demons too? Absolutely. That's one thing that most Christians don't think about. Is they? I had one uh, one of my um, superiors when I was working in Young Life. He said, "I think God hates Satan." And I said to him, "What? God doesn't hate anybody. He loves everybody, including Satan." He'd never thought of it that way. And after thinking about it, I think he realized, yeah, that's true. God does love Satan. So here he is. He's kind of showing his love by giving in to the demon's request and not casting them into the abyss. And it really strikes home for me to where if God is willing, God, meaning Jesus, is willing to listen to 6,000 demons, why are we sitting here as humans, his favored children crying and moaning and whining that God does nothing for us is it because we're not asking him oh absolutely Jesus said that uh, or Paul said that you have not because you ask not Um, actually I think that was James that said that Um, and so the reason that we uh, don't have some of the things that we should have like maybe more faith more obedience, more love, is because we don't ask for it. We should ask for it every single day. Have the faith of a mustard seed, and you can Absolutely. tell that mountain to be cast into the sea. Right. So we'll Talk we, about mountains in the future sometime, too. So we digress. We're, we got to stay on the sea conversation because we could probably spend a couple podcasts just talking about mountains and the importance of those. There might be some sexual windows there in there, too. So if you have not turned off this podcast, you're in for a real treat to kind of find out where these answers are going. So the pig, the pigs casting the sea story really kind of is a great jumping point for us into the rest of this study. And as we talked about before, we're very biblically centered. So everything we do, we have to answer the question out of the Bible with a Bible verse. We don't just answer it out of a fart in the wind. We go straight Bible for Bible. So to answer our question about what is the significance and the meaning of the demons being cast into the sea, we need to go down a little bit of a yellow brick road and kind of explore some other verses to kind of find out what the full picture looks like. So if we if we take a look at um, the rest of this passage, it says that there was a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside. 
And again, the demons begged Jesus because the first thing, the first request was don't cast us into the abyss. This is their second request, which is um, to let them go into the pigs. They would rather be, if they, if they have to leave the man, they want to go into the pigs. Now, this is very symbolic because pigs are an unclean animal in the Bible. Oh, but they're so tasty. Yes. I love bacon. Um, but every Jewish person, every Muslim person knows that a pig is filth. They are, they are the scummiest animal in the world, according to them. And uh, so here we have the, the demons actually going into the pigs because they want to. Now, the, the interesting thing that most people just read right over is that then the demons themselves, who are in possession of the pigs, there's 6,000 demons in these 2,000 pigs, that's a bunch of pigs, they go running down the hillside and they drown themselves in the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee, as you may want to call it, because it's the same thing. And you have to ask yourself, why did the demons, first of all, ask to go into the pigs and then take the pigs and kill them? Because that is very symbolic. The demons were trying to show Jesus that we want to be baptized. They know what baptism is. They saw John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. They saw John the Baptist baptizing thousands of other people. They knew it was an act of repentance, and they wanted to show Jesus that they don't want to be thrown into the abyss. They want to be restored to a right relationship with God. And if you're familiar with the book of Enoch, you find out that that's exactly what the demons did to Enoch. They went to him and they said, would you please ask God to forgive us for our sin? And uh, if you haven't read the book of Enoch, I recommend that you get that and read first Enoch. Don't worry about second and third Enoch, but first Enoch is kind of the, the epitome of the story. But you see that demons do want to repent, and that's one reason why um, this particular group of demons said, what do you want, what do you what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He was asking Jesus, what do you want? What are you going to do with us? And so um, here they, they indicate by their action that we want to be baptized. We want to be restored back to God. And this relates to Satan being cast into the lake of fire. So let's explore the lake. Let's go down the yellow brick road of lake and see. And... I think one of the fun things that we kind of talked about was, you know, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest lake in the world that is a freshwater lake. It's 600 feet below sea level. So kind of a little bit of symbolism in there, but let's bounce over to another Bible verse and really explore the lake and the sea. Uh, Mark 9, 42 and 49, Common English Bible, is it says... As for whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to trip and fall into sin, it would be better for them to have a huge stone hung around their necks and to be thrown into the lake. So in this passage, um, verse 42, we have it translated in the um, uh, CEB version as thrown into the lake. 
In the New King James Version, it says thrown into the sea. The point is that the word sea and the word lake are interchangeable. It, both translations take the same word. One translates it sea, one translates it lake. Now this comes into play when we look at Satan being cast into the lake of fire versus what we're going to talk about next, which is the sea in the temple. So this is to where we kind of like start connecting the dots in a sense and start really kind of having the picture come to the forefront of what we're trying to get to here. And we talked about it many times to where there's so much symbolism embedded in the Bible. There's so many connections between verses. There's these hidden mysteries, this hidden manna that is right there looking for us to excavate like an archaeologist. So the sea in the temple is described as this in Second Chronicles 4, 2 through, C, 2 through 6, still in the Common English Bible. And this is how the Bible describes the sea. Then he made a tank of cast metal called the sea. It was circular in shape, 15 feet from rim to rim, seven and a half feet high, and 45 feet in circumference. Under the rim were two rows of ox-like figures completely encircling it, 10 every 18 inches, each cast in its mold. The sea rested on 12 oxen with their backs toward the center, three facing north, three facing west three facing south, and three facing east. The sea was as thick as the width of a hand. Its rim was shaped like a cup or an open lily blossom. It could hold 3,000 baths. He also made 10, th 10 wash basins and put five on the south and five on the north. The items used for the entirely burned offerings were rinsed in these. The priests washed in the sea. So this passage is uh, <clears throat> very fundamental. But, you know, it's, it's put in the Bible and it's almost like offhand. You know, what, what is so significant about this sea? Well, for one thing, it's huge. It's almost eight feet deep and 15 feet across. So it holds thousands of gallons of water. You could use it as a swimming pool. It is that big. And in fact, it says that the priests washed in the sea. That's verse 6. So the Mormons uh, interpret this as being the place where the priests were baptized. And that is why in every one of their temples, and I'm not a Mormon, but uh, I've read this, and in every one of their temples, they have a duplicate or a replicate of this sea and that's where they do their baptism for the dead. So it is um, quite possible that the priests were actually baptized in the sea. Just like uh, this, this verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 6 says, that they washed in the sea. And um, the sea does come up in other passages, which we're going to take a look at here in a few minutes. It's kind of interesting that you just kind of mentioned the whole um, <clears throat> Mormons baptizing the dead. 
And, you know, a lot of people view the demons as the dead or the damned, so a little bit of uh, connection there, maybe. Well, there is definitely uh, some some allusions being made here to the demons, and um, um, we're going to get waist deep in this, so to speak. If it's eight feet deep, we're going we're going head deep. Yeah, we're in over our head, folks. Yeah, we're definitely uh, on a crazy train going off the rails. So um, let's really start kind of cleaning up the picture and stuff and really okay so just to kind of recap we got pigs cast into the sea we got the sea that's in the temple where the priests bathe the mormons have a representation in their temples where they baptize the dead so the sea in the temple is very symbolic for baptism and cleansing absolutely so with that said, we go into a part of the Bible that you just don't hear your pastor preaching. And it's kind of sad because Revelations has so many great mysterious verses, I think is the best way to put it. And one of those is Revelations 15, 1 through 3. And for this reading, we're going to do the New King James Version. And it says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them the wrath of God is complete and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having harps of God they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. So this passage is a, is a key to the interpretation of what is the lake of fire. So here you have um, the clue. It says that, John saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. So here we have the sea from in the temple or from in front of the temple. The, 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 the sea that we've been talking about was placed right in front of the temple. And this is where the priests would take their baths and wash themselves. And here we have the same sea, but it's mingled with fire. Uh, the glass inside the sea. So um, they called they actually called the sea in the Old Testament the molten sea because it was made out of brass. And brass itself is a very symbolic metal, um, which we won't get into, but it has to do with fire. Brass itself symbolizes fire. So uh, here we have the, the sea of glass mingled with fire. And that should illumine the mysterious passage in which Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Because so often when I'm having conversations with my Christian friends, well, they say, well, Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. There's no chance that he will be saved. 
And I said, yes, but you don't know what the lake of fire is. Take a look at Revelation chapter 15. That is your clue as to what the lake of fire is. So I think it's kind of important to back up one step um, back to the sea in front of the temple and the priests bathing in the sea. We kind of have talked before about gematria and the mark of the beast and number 666. I know we really don't want to go down that kind of a road, but just for a little bit of side story, can you elaborate on gematria 666, mark of the beast, and the priest out of the revelations, just so we can kind of better paint the picture of the symbolism of the priests bathing in the sea at the temple? Well, the number 666 is actually the number of the priests. So the number six uh, relates to the number of the cities that were given to the Levites when the Jews first conquered Israel, the promised land. And so the Jews or the Israelites, the Levites, were specifically given six cities. And this also relates to the six stone jars that Jesus turned the water into wine in. Um, So the symbolism is Jesus will purify the water into wine because wine is pure. You mix your wine with water in order to kill the germs in it. Um, And so the number six has to do with the priesthood. So when the number 666 appears, we're supposed to think, first of all, about the priests And second of all, we're supposed to realize that we, all Christians, are priests. And that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But um, so when we see the number 666, think in terms of the whole world or every person being a priest, not just the Jewish priests. So our next verse, we're going to stay in Revelations, and it's Revelations 21.1, New King James Version. And this is a short verse, so I'm not going to be too winded reading this one. It's, uh, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So what happened to the sea? All right, now this is a very mysterious verse, and I have uh, Jonathan Edwards to thank uh, for interpreting this for me. And he said that this is not talking about the ocean. This is talking about the sea of the temple. So for some reason, this sea that is uh, in the temple has been removed. And in the very next chapter, the very first verse of the next chapter, we find out that that sea, which used to be placed right in front of the temple, has now become the river of life. So if you go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, you'll see that the sea has been replaced by the river of, the, of life. And so the sea, which has been a, a uh, form of judgment and purification, has now become a source of life. And that's where we're going with this whole chapter and this whole uh, podcast is that Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, 
which is the sea, and then he becomes a part of, or he is immersed in, the river of life. So he becomes a part of the church, because all of us are going to be a part of the river of life. <clears throat> and so uh, the significance of this verse in Revelation 21.1 is that it comes immediately after uh, Revelation 19. The last verse is talking about how um, everyone, <coughs> excuse me, everyone will be cast into the lake of fire who is not written in the book of life. And so um, you have the juxtaposition of the lake of fire in the last verse of chapter 19, or, 19, or 20, I mean, and then you have the appearance or the disappearance of the sea in Revelation chapter 21.1. They're right next to each other. They are the same thing. One is the lake of fire and the other is the sea, but they're the same thing. So let's get Revelation verse 20, uh, 10 and 15 out there. And these are the ones that Hal's talking about that came right before 21.1, where it says there is no more sea. And Revelations 20, verses 10 and 15, New King James Version says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And you have to ask yourself, why is everyone, including the devil, who is not found written in the book of life, cast into the lake of fire, when, as we are saying, the lake of fire symbolizes their purification, not their destruction? And that we're going to get into in a big way in the next section of our podcast. So it's kind of important to talk about to where, you know, just in five verses, it goes from the devil and the false prophets are cast into damnation of brimstone and they're going to be tormented day and night forever and forever. And then just five verses later, it says, but wait. Anyone that is not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. So wrapping it all up, the lake of fire is not a destructive, destroying fire. It's like a wildfire going through the woods. It's a cleansing fire that gets rid of all the bad, all the negative, all the underbrush, and it can promote a new life. That's exactly what uh, the fire often represents in Scripture. Um, <clears throat> and if we move on from there, we see that uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, that Jesus himself said that everyone must be salted with fire. Well, let's just... Let's just dive into this verse then, and then we can kind of wrap it up from there. And uh, it'll kind of leave us a good uh, jumping point for the next podcast to where it's all well and good to be cleansed by fire. But now what? 
what's next? What's the sequel going to look like, so to speak? So Mark 9, 42 through 50, New King James Version says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands, to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet, to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes, to be cast into hellfire, where their worms does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. So this passage uh, brings up two sort of interesting things, well, three things, actually. Um, As we mentioned earlier in this same passage, the word... Uh, which we just read as sea, is translated in the common English Bible as lake. So here we see the uh, the translators, you know, choosing which word to use, whether it's lake or sea. Uh, so it can be both. And that was my point when we talk about the lake of fire. It could also be the sea of fire, as um, as we see in this particular verse. Then the other thing is uh, here Jesus talks about hell. But the interesting thing is the word hell never appears in the New Testament. It is not a word that um, that the ancient Jews used. They were talking about Gehenna, which was a valley outside of Jerusalem where the people of the city burned their garbage. And so the, the whole point of the fire in the Valley of Gehenna was to purify the garbage, was to get rid of the stench and the, and the impurity of it. So when you read these Bibles that have been translated for us that do not correctly translate the word hell as it should be, the word Gehenna, which is talking about a place in Jerusalem, um, not a not a fiery uh, place in the center of the earth, as is traditionally thought of when the, when the word hell is used. So we need to point that out that the word hell does not appear in the Bible anywhere. Um, <clears throat> and then it says, and this is the point of this passage: is that everyone will be salted with fire, or seasoned with fire. So what that means is that everyone, every single person has to be purified by fire, as we've been talking. Fire is a symbol of purification. And Jesus himself says everyone must be seasoned with fire. Now, in the context here, you would think, well, that means everybody's going to go to hell. 
Well, that's there to make you think. If it is, um, if it's supposed to be interpreted as you will all go to hell and, and be salted with fire, well, that's hardly fair for those of us who have accepted Christ and, uh, and serve him with our whole hearts. But what Jesus is really saying is everyone, every single person, every single being, including the angels and including the demons and including Satan, will be purified by fire. And so that's the point of this verse. And also, um, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, if um, Ben would read that for us. Yeah, I was definitely thinking to where we need to read this verse to kind of tie it all together and kind of wrap this up to where it kind of puts a little bow on it perfectly for us. Matthew 3.11, New King James Version says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? With fire. So you will be baptized with fire. Which is what happened in Acts chapter 2 when the disciples were in the upper room and tongues of fire appeared on their heads as a, as a symbolic fulfillment of Jesus' promise that we would, or it's actually John the Baptist promise, that we would be baptized with fire. And it, it's a picture of what will happen to every single Christian and in fact every single sentient being will be baptized cleansed by fire and when when the holy spirit came on the disciples they symbolized the whole world and the whole world will have a little flame sticking out of its head as a, as a symbol of the fact that they are purified by god's grace and forgiveness and uh, holiness so take that home with you you will be baptized by fire. You will be purified. You'll have a little candle flame sticking out of your head, just like everybody, symbolically, and, uh, and we'll all be purified by fire. So I think a question our listeners might have is, this is, this is a red verse, right, of Jesus talking. And somebody as high and mighty... Son of God, saying, "He who is coming after me is mightier than I." It's John the Baptist that's talking, actually. Yeah. So, he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Is Jesus that's coming? Yes. So, because I was going to kind of speculate to where he who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. How do you get baptized with fire? Well, it's the same thing as being baptized with water. They symbolize the same thing, which is the beauty of the sea. The sea in the temple was filled with water, but the water symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And we can get into a whole Bible study on that as well. So the water in the sea symbolizes the Holy Spirit, which is why it was pictured in, the, in Revelation chapter 15 as glass mingled with fire. And so it was basically a lake of fire. So you can see how all these symbols kind of interweave. And, and when Jesus, or when John the, Baptist, John the Baptist says, you will be baptized with fire, 
ultimately that is fulfilled when every Christian is baptized. And uh, that symbolizes the fire of the Holy Spirit. All right, so we got a little bit of time left on this podcast, so we need to get the gift wrap and the bow put on this podcast of what is the take-home from this for our listeners to where we had a lot of scripture, a lot of verses that we read through that this is a very important message for people to understand to where this isn't your Sunday school lesson as a kid to where it says, if you steal that piece of candy, you're going to be damned to hell. Right. And so it's very yeah. optimistic and open. Yeah. That's the beauty of it is, uh, you know, God is a gracious God. He wants to save everybody. And in fact, he will save everybody. And um, uh, some people say, well, um, you know, it's up to us. We get to choose our own fate. That is true. Somehow, mysteriously, we all get to choose our own fate. But the promise is that we will choose to follow God. We will choose to accept Christ as our Savior, and then we'll all join with God in his kingdom. And that's the beauty of, the, of this whole system of thought, is that everyone will be saved. And this includes Satan. Some people say Satan cannot be saved because he is like the epitome of evil. And uh, we can talk about that too. Um, and in fact, uh, what I'd like to do is the next time is talk about what is hell. Because we have, there is a hell. There is something that we have to fear as far as judgment is concerned. And uh, we, need to, we don't need to tell people, hey, there is nothing to worry about. No, there is something to worry about. There is a hell. Uh, and we're going to talk in depth about what does, uh, what does the Bible teach us about hell. And again, this is very symbolic. This is very uh, allegorical and metaphorical. And we're going to use um, the same kind of uh, matrix of passages like we did today, where we kind of interweave them and show how they work together to paint the picture for what we call a doctrine. This is a, uh, a doctrine of, um, of uh, salvation, salvation for Satan. So it really just comes down to like what we talked about last time. God is love. Nowhere does it say God's hate. God hates this. God hates that group. It. The message in the Bible is a message of hope. It's a message of we're not all damned to the lake of fire to burn and to be made into little marshmallows. Yeah, it's a good picture. Um, and in fact, I think we'll start our next podcast with the study of Isaiah chapter 66, where that's where Jesus got the whole uh, uh, picture of, you know, being cast into the lake of fire. And, uh, you know, because he was the one who said that the lake of fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And, um, and so Jesus was picking up on Isaiah chapter 66 verses 23 through 24, where it talks about um, the bodies who are 
being consumed by fire where the worms will not die. I think it's interesting also to where we both watched a documentary a while back, and it was called Hellbound. With a question mark. With a question mark. And it was a well-done documentary that kind of wasn't one-sided. It had a Jewish priest. It had a Catholic priest. It had all different religious training talking about what is hell and what is hell like according to the other doctrines. Yeah, I would recommend that if people want to go online and Google that, it's hell bound with a question mark. So um, just type in hell bound question mark and you'll get this video and it's about an hour long or so and it gives a really good overview of the uh, concept that we're working with, but we're going at it in a much more biblical and um, in-depth study, uh, beginning with this particular podcast. So that concludes our second podcast. I hope that your plate of bacon is finished and that your appetite is satisfied and your spiritual appetite has just begun. As we have just begun with our podcasts, we have many, many, many future podcasts that we're planning out and getting ready to launch. So definitely stay tuned and there is more to come. There is a book coming out this year. We have not quite gotten the details yet, but how Jordan is working feverishly trying to get it finished and finalized so it can go to editing so stay tuned for more information on that and i think what we're going to try to do is launch a new podcast on the first and the 16th of each month to fulfill your appetite and really use these verses that we are presenting to you as your own bible study and if you get the same result that we got awesome If not, email us and have the discussion and share with us what your thoughts are and your interpretation on that verse. This is supposed to be an open dialogue, so please email us at hiddenmanapodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook, also at hiddenmanapodcast. So, cheers to you, friends. I hope everyone has a spiritually blessed day wherever you are in this space-time continuum. 